So it, it's, it's very hard. I, I think, though, generally, the skills that scientists learn in graduate school are, you know, widely useful outside of academia. My name is Dan Lametti. I do some freelance writing um, for, most recently for Slate, but I've also written for Discover Magazine and Scientific America. And I am a PhD candidate in behavioral neuroscience at McGill University in Montreal. Welcome to the Grok Science Show. I'm Forrest Goulden. And I'm Joanna Rowell. We have multiple guests today on the Grok Science Show. The voice you heard at the top of the show belonged to Dan Lametti, a graduate student and freelance science writer finishing up an editorial internship with Slate. He's going to help us answer the question, is a science PhD worth it? You also hear from Yelena Grinberg and Aya Puchek, both graduate students, and Jennifer Douglas Ford, a fairly recent graduate who has her PhD. When people ask a question like, is a science PhD worth it? What they usually mean is, will I be able to use my degree to get a job that I like and that pays well? And for science PhDs, that question hasn't had an easy answer for some time. Every so often, an article pops up decrying the vast number of PhDs who graduate every year and the decreasing number of jobs available to those PhDs. It's scary. And in some cases, it's true. At the very least, it definitely influences the career decisions of some scientists. Jennifer Dugas Ford started grad school about 10 years ago, and when she started, she wanted to go into academia. She wanted to pursue one of those tenure-track positions, but after a few years in grad school, she gave up that dream. Here, let's let her tell the story. Uh, I was in grad school for a long time and um, had a lot of opportunities during that time to think about it and have a more realistic view of what it meant and decided towards the end of my doctorate that I didn't want to go into the system for a lot of reasons because um, it's very hard to get a tenure-track position in academics right now. They're extremely rare. Um, and the positions that used to be tenure-track are kind of being whittled down into these um, kind of adjunct positions where you teach, but you're not on tenure-track because they can get you like that because there are so many of us right now. Um, and so there were a lot of reasons that I decided not to go for the tenure-track. So there you have a scientist who wants to be an academic, got her PhD, saw the job market, and decided it wasn't even worth trying. 
Yeah, Dan Lametti, the graduate student and science writer, just wrote an article covering the job market for science PhDs for Slate. He says the numbers back up Jen's anecdotal experience. Getting an academic job is obviously very difficult. Um, and, you know, my piece touched on this. Academic jobs have been disappearing. Um, more than 50% of biology PhDs used to end up in academia, and, you know, now it's down to about 15%. And you have to wonder how many potential scientists, how many undergraduates coming out of college, hear about how bad the job market is for scientists with PhDs, how they'll never find jobs. Wait. What? That's not true. What do you mean that's not true? We have a lot of PhDs and not enough jobs for them. It's true that we don't have enough tenure-track positions for all our PhDs, but those aren't the only jobs available to scientists, nor are they the only jobs that science PhDs want. So there's always been um, more... PhDs produced than academic positions. It's always been like that. And science PhDs have a long history of pursuing careers outside of academia. And I think that's another you know, point that, that, that needs to be addressed. Not everybody doing a PhD in science wants to be an academic. It turns out that you know, about 50% are interested in doing other things. So to focus on the prospects of getting an academic job, which are, you know, quite limited, um, I think kind of misses all these, all this other group of people that, that are interested in doing something totally different when they graduate. So that's hopeful then. There are all these non-academic jobs that scientists can take. So problem solved, right? Well, not quite. I, I would say the job market is very tough, but it's very tough for, for lots of highly skilled people, lots of highly educated people. Um, you know, you can go talk to Somebody who just finished law school, for instance, and is you know $150,000 in debt and is facing 25% or higher unemployment, I think we have to keep things in perspective here. And we also have to remember that science education, so a science PhD, most of the time doesn't cost anything. So it's not like we're coming out of you know five, six, seven years of grad school and we are $200,000 in debt. Most of us have no debt. So what it costs you is really time. And what, you know, if you're thinking about doing a PhD in the sciences, what you have to think about is, is that time worth it? It's going to be hard to find a job when you get out. Um, and, you know, do you want to basically devote five, six, seven years of your life to something that is not, it's not a medical degree. It's not going to guarantee you a job when you get out. Um, so it's a very tough job market. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think if you look at, and this was kind of what my what my piece in Slate um, on you know the state of science PhDs was trying to get at. If you look at historically how people trained in science do, they do really well. So you know we might not get the exact job that we want. Uh, it's going to be hard to find work, but more often than not, we land on our feet. Dan mentioned that science PhDs have a fairly low unemployment rate. Dan cites two numbers in his recent article. The first, from the National Science Foundation, found that the unemployment rate of science PhDs was less than 2% in 2008. The second survey, from the American Chemical Society and conducted in 2011, found the unemployment rate for chemists with PhDs to be just 3.4%. Those are really good numbers, especially now with the unemployment rate for the population as a whole hovering around 8%. Yes, they are really good numbers. But it's not like jobs just fall into our laps. 
Jobs don't just grow on trees for anyone. You have to get them. And Dan had some good advice. There was two case studies that I really wish I could have put in the article,、um, and in the end, we、uh, we took them out、um, for just just to be more concise. And I talked to a few PhDs who started who started grad school with no intention of going on into academia. And what they did was they used they used the freedom that grad school provides、um, to try other things while they were doing their PhDs. And when they when they finished grad school, they were remarkably successful at, at finding jobs.、Um, this one guy I talked to got a job seven days before、uh, receiving his diploma. So I think what we what science PhDs have to have to be told is that you know the the job market has changed. Um, and we have to be prepared、uh, to find employment outside of academia when we graduate. So Dan argued that we should use the freedom we have as graduate students to build knowledge and experience bases that will help us enter our chosen fields. That sounds great. Really, it does, and it really is good advice. But it isn't always that easy. Dan talked to graduate students who, from the start, knew that they didn't want to pursue an academic career. Earlier, we heard from Jen Douglas Ford, a graduate student who originally wanted an academic career, who planned for an academic career. What does a graduate student like Jen do when she realizes she wants to change her field? Most of what I learned, I actually learned from the Caps Center on campus, so they're very, very, very useful. So they gave me a lot of leads and a lot of ideas, and then I went out on my own after that, and you know, chased down the specifics of those things. I learned most of that after、uh, I decided that I was going to leave academics <laughs> and、uh, learn kind of. On the job while I was looking for a job. That was a pretty short answer, but there were a couple things that I found interesting. The first thing I found interesting was that the best information Jen could find was at the CAP Center, the Career Advising and Planning Services Center. These are university-wide career centers that essentially every university has, but they aren't specific for STEM fields. And while they often have experts who specialize in certain fields, they may not be ideal for every PhD. The second thing I found interesting was that it sounded like Jen was more or less on her own. Right, that's a little surprising because when you think of grad students, you think of someone who is being actively trained and mentored by a professional scientist. You'd think that having that kind of mentor and hopefully a positive relationship with a mentor like that would open up some additional doors. We asked Jen if she used her mentor or other faculty as a resource as she looked for a career. Ah,、uh, you know, I didn't really talk to that many faculty about it.、Um... <laughs> Honestly, I didn't.、Um, you know, I, I talked to Cliff a little bit. IPI. I talked to him a little bit about some of the options that I was thinking about, and he had some feedback on that, which was, you know, useful.、Um, but for the most part, I didn't really, I didn't really talk to the faculty on campus about my decision. It turns out that this, not using the faculty or your mentor, is not unusual, particularly when a grad student is pursuing a non-academic career. Dan Lametti had a great explanation for why faculty can sometimes be less than completely helpful. Part of the trouble is, you know, your advisor, your PhD advisor. It worked out for him or her, so they don't know any different. All they know is academia. So of course they're going to say, you know, go for it. So Dan is both a science writer who has written about job prospects for people with PhDs in the science, technology, and engineering and medicine fields, but also a graduate student himself. The above answer seemed like a great opportunity to ask him about his mentor. I've had a fantastic、uh, advisor throughout. Grad school, who's been very supportive, and you know, a lot of grad students don't get this type of support. They wouldn't, you know, be allowed to take a summer off, for instance, to do an internship at a magazine.、Um, but no, he's been he's been great, and I think he understands how tough the job market is, 
and that it's important for uh, science PhDs to get experience, you know, outside of the lab. So the next obvious question to ask, did Dan's mentor help advise him or direct him to get his first science writing internship? No, I was, uh, I was totally on my own. Um, I had written a science and tech column for uh, McGill's student newspaper for about a year, and I really enjoyed it. And I'd been thinking about pursuing science writing after finishing my degree. And I uh, saw the ad for the internship and applied, and it just uh, it worked out. So now we're walking things backwards a little bit. We started out with Dan as a science writer. We found out how he got his first internship as a science writer. And now we'll hear him talk about when he decided he wanted to be a science writer. Science writing was something I discovered in graduate school. So I was in the, uh, I guess, first year of my PhD. I just finished a master's degree. And um, I, I, you know, I find science, as most scientists do, I find science extraordinarily slow. Um, and my roommate at the time was a journalist. He suggested that I um, write some pieces for the school paper. And that's what I started doing, and I found that I, I really liked it, and um, kind of it took off from there. You may have noticed some similarities between Dan Lametti and Jen Douglas Ford's path to graduate school. Both entered graduate school wanting to do one thing with their degree, both changed their minds partway through, and while both spoke glowingly of their bosses, both were somewhat on their own when it came to actually progressing down their chosen career path. Right, and you heard the same sort of thing in the anecdotal story Dan referenced earlier of the graduate students he had spoken to who used graduate school to develop the specific skill set necessary to go after the specific jobs they wanted. The idea that you have to direct your own course, that you have to come up with your own career options, seems to be pretty widespread. Let's introduce a new voice now, that of Aya Puchek and hear what she said when we asked her if graduate school prepares students for non-academic careers. I don't think they prepare us at all. Like, it just seems like people fall into it, or like the guy who writes for the science blog. It also sounds like it was all self-driven from him. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of help in an organized way. And here's another new voice, Yelena Grinberg, speaking on the same topic. Um, so my knowledge of this is so limited, which I think just, I, I was thinking about why my knowledge of this is so limited, and it's because I haven't really sought out any, um, I mean, our school holds informational panels, I believe, um, and drug representatives um, like come in, so I, I would be able to ask questions, I believe. But we're not really presented um, as part of our PhD process with career options at all, like not only in the... Um, in this field, but also in the academic field, and everything I've had to essentially find out on my own or get you know advice from my PI. I'm very happy with the career guidance um, that I've received after seeking it out, but I think it would be nice if if the university did kind of force a few things on us. Uh, I guess kind of required us to to attend some some panels because. I'm, I'm doing this in what I believe is my last year of my PhD, um, but I think this would have been a good thing to think about, you know, in, in my first, second, third year as well. I think that would have helped. That raises an interesting question. Do graduate programs have a responsibility to help develop the careers of the graduate students in their universities? I don't know if they have a responsibility and certainly not an obligation to help their PhD students get a job after they graduate. 
And I don't think graduate programs have an obligation to try to inform graduate students about different career options. After all, faculty members in graduate programs probably don't know a lot about different career paths. However, graduate programs succeed or fail based largely on the success of the graduate students that pass through their programs. While it might not be a responsibility or an obligation, it's definitely in the best interests of a graduate program to help their grad students research careers to find jobs. I agree with that. We also asked Dan Lametti what his take on this was. I think that um, you, can, you can fault universities, you can fault grad programs for not you know, telling their students that it's really difficult to get an academic job. But everybody knows that. You know, everybody, um, at, at least the people I did PhDs with, they, they, they had no expectations of just walking into a tenure-track position upon graduation. It's hard. People know that. I think, um, I think you, can, you can fault almost any non-professional degree for not preparing students for getting a job. I really like that answer. Essentially, he's saying that you could blame universities, but only for not telling students something they should already know. Right, and if you blame a graduate program for that, you sort of have to place the same blame on any trade or instructional school anywhere. Yeah, and really, what we're seeing so far is that graduate school isn't all that different from a lot of trade schools. And in fact, it's better in a lot of ways. Your tuition is probably paid for, you probably get a stipend, and you're probably going to get a job when you're finished. But the hard part is that the job you get may not be the job you want, and it may not pay all that well despite all the work it took you to get that job. And when you start grad school, you might not have any idea what that job is or even if it exists. Yeah, if you train to be a teacher, you pretty much know, or at least hope, you'll end up working with students. If you train to be a doctor, you know you'll more likely end up somewhere with patients. And if you train as a lawyer... Please, no lawyer jokes. You'll end up in a law firm or somewhere similar. On the other hand, if you train to be a scientist in a STEM field, you might end up in an academic lab or an industrial or pharmaceutical lab, or you might end up in science writing or a law office or a medical office or a business office or even a high school classroom. PhDs in the STEM fields are in high enough demand and tenure track positions are low enough in supply that graduate students have a hard time finding all the opportunities available to them without some serious legwork. And while most graduate institutions have seminars and panel discussions and career planning services, graduate students have to make use of those services. In fact, no matter what you do or want to do with your PhD, you can only really succeed by putting a lot of effort into not just your PhD, but also your search for what you want to do with your PhD. Yeah, that was one thing that every single person we talked to told us. You have to take the initiative. You have to make contacts, go to seminars, go to the career placement office. It was really kind of stunning. Aya, Yelena, Jen, Dan, even some of the people we talked to but didn't air, they all just spontaneously told us about the need to be extremely proactive. Really, that's not something that should be surprising. You would expect that from any new high school or college graduate, too. What's a little different here is the level of preparation you have to put into moving past graduate school. You really have to start writing about science or going to panel discussions on non-academic opportunities or looking for an academic postdoc position several years before you graduate. That gets tedious because while you're doing all this, you're still trying to do your normal 40, 50, 60 70. hour work week. You do not work 70 hours a week. No, I don't work 70 hours a week. We started this show trying to decide if getting a PhD was worth it. And the monetary aspects of postgraduate life the ability to find a job are incredibly important considerations when deciding whether a PhD in science is worth it. But these aren't the only important considerations. 
Okay, well, let's go through the downsides because there are so many downsides to doing a PhD. Um, and I think the the biggest one is you lose all those years where you could have been making a salary. So I have an, I, for instance, have an undergraduate degree in physics, which and physicists are generally highly employed. And I probably could have gotten a pretty good job. And by now, I'd probably be making a lot more than I am as a graduate student. So I've lost out on all that potential income. And, you know, that's, that's a real loss. Um, the other thing that's tough for PhDs is you're, you know, you're, you're approaching your late 20s, early 30s, and you're seeing your friends who have not gone on to, into grad school. They are getting great jobs. It takes them a while, just like everybody else, but they get great jobs. Uh, they're buying houses. They're getting married. They're having kids. And you start to get a little antsy about, you know, actually doing these things, making a salary, a, a good salary so you can do these things. And I think that's the frustration that a lot of PhDs, science PhDs feel is, is when they get out, they're kind of thrown back to being 23, 24 years old and having to, you know, figure out what they're going to do with their training. Um, and that's tough for sure. So there are, there are lots of downsides to, um, to getting a science PhD. It's not all, it's not all wonderful. That is a very effective argument against graduate school. But you know, I love happy endings, so that's not where we're going to leave this episode of the Grok Science Show. We're going to leave you with two more pieces of information. First, nearly everyone we talked to would do graduate school, would get their PhDs all over again. A lot of the people would do things differently, but most of the people we talked to were pretty happy with their choices. And second, well, here's Dan one last time. I've had some interest in uh, teaching high school. And people will say, that's crazy. You have a PhD. Why would you want to teach high school? You're going to, you know, you're going to be so bored in that position. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't see it like that. That's a really great job if you can get it. And the work I've done in my PhD hasn't disappeared. Part of doing PhD training in science is actually doing science, right? You're publishing. Um, every... PhD ends in a dissertation that is published. So the work is out there and there's nothing wrong with, you know, contributing to a field and then moving on to do something else. So I think, and, you know, mathematicians get a lot of flack for going into finance after, after they, they finish their PhDs, but there's, there's nothing wrong with that. The work, the work is still there. Yeah. They want to, they, you know, they've decided they want to get a good job that pays well. So let them use their skills that they learned in graduate school to do that. That is a much happier note to end on. Definitely. If you're interested in hearing more from the Grok Science Show, you can find us on our own website, on Twitter, on the Public Radio Exchange, or on Facebook, even on the south side of Chicago. You can always find us on our home station of 88.5 WHPK in Hyde Park in Kenwood and 96.9 in Baton Rouge. You can also hear us on the National Science Foundation Science 360 internet stream and more than a dozen other stations across the country. There are almost 550 archived episodes of the Grok Science Show on our website and iTunes. We'd like to thank Dan Lametti, Jen Ford, Yelena Grinberg, and Aya Puchek for being on our show this week. And for Joanna Rao, Elise Kovic, Charles Lee, and Frank Lang, I'm Forrest Gordon. Thanks for listening.
I think even if I if I decide to, you know, do the thing that I joke about, you know, dropping out and becoming like a gardener or a park ranger after this, because those are um, hobbies, uh, I don't think I would regret getting a, a PhD in neurobiology at all. 